Good morning. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word? We're going to continue reading in the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. And it says this, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the opportunity you have given us today to offer ourselves in worship to you. We thank you for the opportunity to sing, to lift our hands, God, to give, and to to be in your presence. And God, as we continue in the service today, we ask that we could now receive your truth in a fresh and a life-changing way. We pray that you would anoint our pastor as he shares with us and that you would make this a day where we become more like you because your truth is planted in our hearts. Guide us and lead us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now today I want to ask you a very simple question. Have you ever been uh, positive about something? I mean, absolutely uh, certain about something. Uh, I mean, dead certain. Stomp your feet, sure, that you're right. Everybody else is out of their minds certain about something. Cross your heart and hope to die certain about something. Uh, Bet the farm on the outcome certain about something. Without a doubt in the world certain. Absolutely, positively certain. Have you ever been just so certain of something that you just knew beyond any doubt you're absolutely right only to later discover that you were dead wrong. Have you ever been there? Uh, my dad had a guy tell him once, if I had to lay my head on a chopping block and if I am wrong, the axe would fall, I would put my head there right now, that's how certain I am. Turns out he was wrong. Uh, have you ever been there? In that place when you just said... I- I would have sworn you turned right at that street. I would have sworn it was a, the dress was red. I would have sworn that we said we were going to meet on Tuesday afternoon. You know, most of us have been there at some point. I hope, I hope that in your life that those moments when you were certain and ended up being certainly wrong, that uh, uh, they were small little things like the color of the dress. But Paul, or Saul, as we know him, Saul was cross your heart and bet your eternity wrong about something. I mean, could you have blamed God if God had just taken Saul out? He was torturing the people of the church, the people trying to live for Jesus. He was trying to stamp out the message of Christ. He was trying to end this hope that we have in Jesus. He was doing everything he can to put it to an end. Could you blame if he just simply removed him from the earth? See, Paul was certain, but he was certainly wrong. But through Paul, we begin to see God's nature revealed. We begin to see God's character shine through us, or shine through this story, and reveal how God will treat us. Instead of a lightning bolt of destruction... Paul gets a light of revelation. See, I, I believe that 
at least for the sincere in heart and for those truly hungry for the truth. And maybe, maybe, just maybe for everybody, there comes a moment of sight that you can hang your hat on. You can hang your whole life on it. Nebuchadnezzar got one staring into the furnace when he threw three Hebrew boys in there and they didn't burn. Pharaoh got ten of them but refused to pay attention to them. The Philippian jailer got one when the earthquake shook open the jail cells and broke the the shackles off of Paul's life and, and he came and discovered that Paul was free. Malchus, the servant of the high priest, got one when... In a moment in the garden, he took a, uh, Peter took a sword and swung at Malchus and cut off his ear. And Jesus reached down, picked up the ear, and put it back on. Now, that would kind of give you a revelation, wouldn't it? To see Jesus do something like that. Martin Luther got one when he read, his, read the Bible for himself and began to see the Word of God and what it really meant and the Scripture began to come alive to him. Billy Graham got one where he walked down to a revival meeting and sat and listened to an evangelist preach and Billy Graham walked that aisle and gave his life to Christ. My dad got one sitting at home one night, his marriage and life in trouble and God reminded him of a promise that he wasn't keeping. And my dad got up and went down to the church that my mom was at to a revival meeting that was taking place. The service was almost over, but as he walked in the door, they were giving the altar call, and he came and gave his life to Christ. I got one of those moments when I was sitting over in the basement of the Oasis uh, years ago, uh, listen, sitting down there waiting for the Sunday night service to start and God began to speak into my life and change the direction of my life. Many of you have had one listening to a sermon and as you've listened to the sermon, the truth and the light of the word came into your heart and you knew, you knew in that moment, I need to surrender my life to Christ. Others hearing a testimony of somebody, you knew in that moment you need to surrender your life to Christ. Or during a song that somebody was singing or, or during a, while you're reading a book or reading the Bible, and you knew now is the time the light came on and you knew Jesus was who he claimed to be. Paul had one of those moments on the Damascus Road where the light shined in his life. It's at these moments, these times in our lives, when our life has a chance to pivot for eternity, to make a change, and to go a different direction. Now truly, like Pharaoh, some choose to repress the moment. They choose to explain it away as something other than God. Some explain it away as simply a moment of desperation or simply a moment of emotionalism or simply the faith of their parents and and their, their tradition. And, and, and some just simply let it fade away with the busyness of their days. But I believe the sincere get that moment when Jesus shows up and we have to ask, Who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus. Have you had that moment? Has that day come to you when it became crystal clear to you that Jesus is who he claimed to be? That he is the son of God 
the creator of all this earth and our Savior. What have you done with that moment? Have you let it begin to shape and form your life? Have you let it begin to form what you think? Have you put your faith in Jesus to be your Savior? Have you begun to follow follow Him as your Lord? What have you done with that moment? Because the question truly is, when that light comes on, you've got to do something with that moment. The now what is sitting right there. In Acts chapter 9, we read this story of the certainty of Saul attacking the church and then Jesus shows up and reveals to him that he has certainly been wrong about who Jesus is. And for Saul, who becomes Paul, that changes everything. In the days ahead, he sets his life on a completely new course. And this is what Jesus does for all of us when he meets us. He changes us. He begins to move in our heart. We begin to see the world differently. We begin to see other people differently. Our priorities get shaken up and reordered. He makes all things new. And we end up with some assignment on this earth of what He wants us to do and how He wants us to live our lives. Have you allowed that to happen in your life? That's what so dramatically took place in Paul's life and is a a sign of how God works in our life. Now when that happens, there are three lies that the enemy whispers into our ears. The first one is this. You are too bad to be forgiven. You are too bad to be forgiven. I don't don't know how many times someone told me this. I've done so many bad things in my life. I've been so terrible in my life. I don't deserve the mercy of God. At one of the services, one of my great friends in this church came up to me and said, Pastor, on my father's deathbed, that's exactly what he said to me. I've been too bad to be saved. See, son, I'm so grateful I was there to tell him that God's love is greater than anything you've ever done. This is the great news about the kingdom. See, the the most deceptive lies are, are wrapped in an element of truth. And the truth is we don't deserve God's mercy. We have gone too far. We have failed Him too much. If we got what we deserved, it would be an eternity separated from God. But God offers us mercy. Mercy is something you get when you don't deserve it. And God offers that to every one of us. If you're sitting there today thinking, yeah, I'm okay. I've earned my way into heaven. I've, I've been good enough. You're deceived. We're all unworthy of the grace of God. Unworthy of it. You'll know it in an instant when you see him face to face. But God in his grace to overcome that lie shows us the life, the life of Saul who becomes Paul. Who, the whole, who through even the writing of the Holy Spirit and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit calls himself the chief of all sinners. A murderer of believers. A man opposed to the gospel who who finds the light of the gospel come into his life, and his life is transformed. So here we are with the message of a loving God today that says to us, no matter how far you have gone, no matter what you have done in your sin, Jesus went further in his righteousness to bring you back to God. And he gives us this great life of, of Saul, who was fighting the church, opposed to the church, trying to destroy the church, and yet God in His love reaches out and encompasses him. And He tells us today, for any who will call upon my name will be saved. Today, right now, 
His love is reaching out to you. Oh, don't let the enemy tell you that lie. Don't let the enemy deceive you in that thing. The love of God is there for you. Here's the second thing the enemy tells us. You can never be used by God. The Bible is filled with people who at first think they cannot be used by God. When when Moses is confronted by the very presence of God and God tells him what his call is and what he's supposed to do, Moses begins to explain to God that he's a stutterer. He can't go and talk before kings. He can't go and stand up to Pharaoh. But God lets him know, you're the one I'm sending. When the angel comes and confronts Gideon and calls him to go out and raise up an army to defeat the Midianites, Gideon says, I'm the least of the least tribe. He says, I'm, I'm calling you. Paul, a, a, a Pharisee, a man of the law, a, a man of Judaism, opposed uh, with, with just these ethical and, 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 and prejudiced looks at the rest of the world. And yet God calls him to be the messenger to the Gentiles. To go to those who don't believe in Judaism and definitely don't know anything about Jesus and to proclaim the name of Jesus to them. And Paul shows us the pathway to overcoming a terrible path. He, uh, past. he didn't hide it. He didn't ignore it. He showed the grace of God in his story. He told it again and again and again about who he was and what he was and what God did in his life. Paul turned his story of shame into a testimony of God's grace and glory. That's what God did with it. So I remember a time years ago, my wife and I and our family faced a crisis in our, in our home. My wife and I were driving down the street and I remember my first statement to her as we drove, drove through this time. I looked at her and I said, uh, well, I feel like I've lost all moral authority to tell anybody else what to do. And before my wife could say a thing to me, before she could speak to me, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, you never had any moral authority in the first place. The authority is not in you. The authority is in my word. Listen, you don't have to worry about what moral authority you have. You don't have to worry about how good or how bad you were in your past. Jesus' blood covers all of that. All you've got to do is be willing to be used. All you've got to do is say, yes, Lord, I'll do what you tell me to do. It's his authority and his power that flows through our life. And we even take the the most shameful moments of our life. God can turn those into moments where where he shows his love for the world. Our worst hours become the moments of God's greatest act of love in our life. When in spite of what we do, when we deserve to be abandoned, when we deserve to be judged, when we've been utmost failures in what we've done, that He reveals His patience and His love and His compassion for us. And our failures can become a sign of God's greatness. See, the enemy points out our failure, but God speaks to the possibility of what He wants to make you. He says about Paul, He is my chosen instrument. 
And as we read in the Word, we discover that each one of us have been given divine gifts, certain manifestations of the Spirit, where we are His chosen instruments to do His work on this earth. The question is, will we step out and do them? Now, here's the third lie. What God is asking you to do is ridiculous. For Paul, the task was ridiculously big. He would become the foremost defender of the faith, the greatest instrument of the revelation of God in church history. Probably in the New Testament, second only to Jesus himself as an instrument in God's hands. Oh, we may look throughout the centuries and throughout history and think of other men or other women who've been greatly used by God and, th- and say, well, they reached more people or they did more things or they did this, that, or the other. But I would just tell you today, all that they did is based upon the writings of Paul that God gave to him that revealed to us the truth. Paul was mightily used in a great and unfathomable way to reach out and to shape, shape the world as we know it today. So the task may be ridiculously big, and it also may seem ridiculously small. Ananias' name drops from the church record in Scripture. Now we know, we know that in God's plan, in God's time, there were probably other ministry things that Ananias did, but for whatever reason, they did not make it into the recorded Scripture. But the one that we we know about was simply this. A small task. Was it to go preach to thousands or stand up in front of a multitude? It was to go to a house on a street called Straight and talk and pray for a guy named Saul. It wasn't a huge task. It wasn't a a mighty task. It wasn't some great, you know, organizational task. It was a simple task. Go down to Straight Street, talk to Saul. Now, granted, it was a risky task. I mean, can you imagine Ananias at that moment, knowing that Saul has come there, knowing the reputation that Saul had, knowing that he'd come there with letters to, to take the Christians and to bring them back to, back to Jerusalem for imprisonment and for torture. And now God says to him, I want you to go do a personal visitation at where Saul's staying, knock on the door, and ask him if you can pray for him. It doesn't sound like the greatest plan in the world. It probably sounds... Ananias, he spoke right up. He said, God, wait a second. Do you know who this guy is? Do you know what you're asking me to do? Are you asking me just to throw my life away right here and right now? And God says, no, I want you to go because there's something I've got for Saul to do. I want you to go and to take the risk. And Ananias was brave enough and faithful enough to go down to Straight Street and to knock on a door. Probably shaking his head wondering, what is about to happen to me? And say, uh, I just come down here to pray for Saul in the name of Jesus. It was a risk. It was a big risk. See, God calls us sometimes to do risky things. He may call you to talk to your boss about salvation. Whisper in your ear, hey, take your boss 
Take him to lunch. Sit him down and share with him what you believe and why you believe it. And in that moment, your heart rate goes up. Your palms begin to sweat a little bit. Your knees begin to knock together. The question is, will you listen to what God is asking you to do? You're saying, God, this could change everything at work. I could, I, I, I could, I could, this could be the end of my career at work. This could be something terrible could happen to me. But will you obey God? It's risky. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what God's going to let you walk through. But will you obey God? He may speak to you and say, go to your neighbor, invite him over to dinner, share faith with him, invite him to church. God, I, I'm going to see him every day when I drive in the driveway. God says, take the risk. Step out. Go share faith with somebody around you. God may speak to you and say, go on the missions trip. You may say, God, this missions trip, this, they're, going to go, they're doing street evangelism on this missions trip. I, God, you must be thinking about my wife. You must be thinking about my friend. You certainly can't be thinking about me. To go, you know, it's, it's hard enough for me to share faith here, but to go to some foreign country and to go out on the street and share faith with people. God, are you sure you're talking the right? I, that kind of freaks me out, God. And God says, it's you. It's you that I want to go. God may look at you as he has people in this fellowship at times and say, I want you to give a ridiculous sum of money to the church. I want, you to, I want you to give to the new building or I want you to give to missions or I, I want you to give up what you were planning on doing here. And you may sit there, God, I've been saving that money for a boat. I've been saving it for a new house. I've been, I've been saving it for a new car. I've been saving it for this, that, or the other. And God just says, no, no not this time. I'll bless you, but this time I want you to take a risk. I want you to step out in faith. I want you to trust me and see what I can do with what you do, with what you give when you're obedient to me. See, Ananias had to take a great risk, but here's the the deal. There is an element of Ananias in everything that Paul accomplishes from that moment forward. Every book that Paul would write that would become scripture, there's an element of Ananias there. He's out in the shadow. He's in the shadow of the story as the one that God used to bring Paul into the kingdom. Every church that was planted in the shadow of the story is Ananias. The guy who would be willing and faithful to go take a risk and reach out and touch somebody else. The doctrines that have lasted and been poured down through the century. There's an element of Ananias in those doctrines that were revealed through Paul because he was right there. Right there in the shadow is Ananias. And hear me today, the same is true for every Sunday school worker that God speaks to and says, I want you to go down to that classroom and teach those students week after week. And you look and you say, God, you want me to go down to that group of heathen and pour my life into those little monsters. You want, God, they're out of control. They are a mess. I, I don't even know if I like kids that age. You want me to go down there and teach them week after week after week and pour my life into them? God, they're going to kill me. You would really want me to go down there? And God says, yes, I'm calling you to go down there and teach them week after week. And you know what happens? 
That can be rough. It can be hard. It can be challenging. But as the years go by, that child may have forgotten who taught them the lesson. That child may have forgotten who planted the seed. That child may have forgotten where they learned what they've learned. But it begins to grow in their life. They become the person transformed by Scripture. They become a person who builds a new life and follows the call of God and the fruit of their life begins. And they don't even remember who was a part of planting all of it. But God remembers Ananias. He remembers the person who will take the risk and who will go to the place and will continue the ministry and pour their life. The person who will go to Straight Street and tell the truth. God writes their name down and he remembers them. He remembers what they've done. Every good work, there's an element of them in it. That person that God says, I want you to go and be the first person to share Jesus with them. And you go and they reject you. They ridicule you. They they, they don't want to have anything to do with what you're saying. But through the course of days or weeks or months or years, God continues to work in that person's life. And the day comes when they surrender their life to Christ. They may have forgotten you and the first part of the story and what they said and what they did. But God doesn't forget it. He remembers Ananias. He remembers that Ananias went. And he honors Ananias for going. The question is, will I be an Ananias? The person who through prayer and giving supports a missions work, takes a missionary and says, I'm going to pray for you every day. I'm going to seek God for you every month. I'm going to give a little bit of, of what God gives to me to help you get on the mission field and help you do the work. They may never set foot on the mission field. They may never look in the eyes of one transformed person by the work of that missionary. But God knows that they were a part of the work. God knows when we take the risk and we are obedient. There are people, friend, long gone from this earth, that stand in the shadows of this church's ministry today. But it was their faithfulness and their work years ago that makes today's work possible. Some of you have been saved in the last two, three, four, five years. And you don't know people who were here 15, 20 years ago that have gone on to be with the Lord. But their work is a part of what happened to you. They built a church. They prayed over a church. They worked in a church so that today we can continue to go. And people who get saved today and get saved next week and get saved next year, it all happens because somebody has been willing to be obedient to God. Somebody in the past did something so that we could do what we do today. Now hear me, you and I are called to things that will build into the future. We're called to do things. I, I've been telling everybody, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, the cross went up about a week ago, and new property. Sometime in the next year or so, we'll put the prayer garden in around it. The day's going to come when we're going to hear the first story. It's going to go something like this. I was going through a heartbreaking time in my life. I didn't know where to turn. I'd just gone out to drive and just driving down the highway and I saw that cross and I thought, wow. If there's a God, I need him now. 
got off the highway and I drove around to where that cross is at and I just sat there for a while and I noticed I noticed there's a path I could get out and walk on I got out and I walked around that path and while I'm walking around that path I said God if you're really there if there's anything to you at all I need you right now and God met with me we're going to hear that story someday we're going to hear other stories like that someday I want to be a part of that story don't you I want to be a part of making that happen I'm praying for that to happen. When I see that cross, I'm, when I walked around that cross where they were putting it up the other day, I'm walking around saying, God, right here, change lives right here. Reveal yourself to people right here. Let this be a place where hurting people come and discover your grace and discover your mercy and discover your salvation and discover your healing and discover your hope. Let it happen right here. Day's going to come. We're going to be talking to some young family. say, how did you first come to Calvary? He said, well, you're an interesting pastor. Interesting. Uh, I had a friend. And my wife had a friend. And they all, we have all these little kids, you know. And Her friend said to her one day, why don't we go over to Calvary and have a cup of coffee and watch the kids play? So they came over and they sat over in that little room. And the kids played. Everybody was friendly to us. We discovered we'd come over whenever we wanted to. And my wife came back two or three times. And I came with her once. And and, and we sat here and we watched the kids play and we saw all the things going on. Everybody was nice to us. And we thought, you know what? We've been coming out here to this. We, we really ought to come see what this church is about. So we came on a Sunday morning. Boy, people loved on us. They loved on our kids. Our kids, our kids came out. Of, came out of, they, they were just so thrilled and, and we felt so encouraged. And we thought, well, we'll come back next week. We're not sure what all this stuff's all about. We, but we came back the next week and and we came back again a few weeks later. And then one Sunday, the Spirit of God spoke to us. And we began to realize that what we had been certain of was not right. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that Sunday morning, our life pivoted for eternity. We're going to hear that story. I want to be a part of that story, don't you? I want to be a part of seeing lives changed. I am crying out every day, God, in this lost and dying world, give us souls. Reveal yourself to the lost. Stir our church to be a church that boldly takes the risk to share faith with people. Let our young men and our young women awaken that what this world is really about is preparation for eternity. Nothing else matters. What matters is what will go into eternity. Let us be a people who awake to that truth and who walk in that truth. Listen, do you think... Excuse me. Do you think that the evangelist that preached the night Billy Graham gave his heart to God? You know the story? Billy Graham and his friend decide to walk down to this revival meeting. They go in the door, and the place is filled. There's no place for him to sit. No place for him to sit. And and so Billy Billy Graham wants to leave. He wants to go. So he tells his friend, let's get out of here, it's too crowded. 
But an usher steps up. Get this, ushers. An usher steps up and says, please, please don't leave. Please stay. Here, I'll give you my seat. You sit where I was going to sit. I'll stand. And so Billy Graham decides to stand, decides to sit there and listen. And at the end of that message, Billy Graham takes the walk down that aisle and receives Christ into his life. Now, do you think that usher knew what he did that night? Do you think that he knew, oh, I just planted a seed tonight that's going to bring thousands upon thousands upon thousands of souls into the kingdom. The fruit of this is going to be so magnificent because tonight Billy Graham got saved. He didn't know who Billy Graham was. Think that evangelist went home that night going, the greatest thing I ever did in my life just happened tonight. The greatest part of the ministry I'll ever be a part of just happened tonight. Billy Graham got saved. He didn't, nobody knew who Billy Graham was. He probably went home that night and said, oh, nice young man got saved tonight. That's a great night, good night, good young man got saved tonight. But he had no idea the fruit of that night. That usher had no idea of the fruit of that night. You've ever heard the name Bill Hybels? Bill Hybels is a pastor up in, in Chicago, has a worldwide ministry of leadership train that inspires pastors and Christian leaders all around the world to do the work of God. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people have been touched by his teaching and by the impact of others that he has taught. He sat in a classroom in college one day. Teachers teaching. And the teacher begins to talk about what the church should be. How it should be a place of family. How it should be a place of ministry to the, the hurting in a community. How it should be a place of God's grace. How it should be focused on soul winning. And it sparked in Bill Hybel's heart. And he thought, I want to build a church like that. Now I'm telling you, that professor didn't go home today and think, I just sparked a worldwide movement. But he had. I just sparked something that's going to impact the face of the church. But he had. He didn't know what he had done at that moment. But he'd taken the risk and he taught the truth. And something happened that day. Ananias may have had the greatest insight into that because God told him that he had a special call. But I want you to understand, when God calls you to something risky, when he calls you to do something, when he invites you into his labor, it may be something like Paul. It may be worldwide shaking, generational changing. Or it may be something like Ananias, where your name is mentioned once. but it reverberates the impact throughout centuries. The question is, are you willing to follow? Are you willing to take the risk and do what God would have you to do? That ridiculous thing, that risky thing, that small thing that may be, may be forgotten, but that you step out and do it anyway, may be the biggest thing you ever do in your life here's the one thing that we know for sure if I Ananias had said no God would have sent somebody else Paul was God's chosen instrument somebody would have gone but Ananias went 
Will you be the one that doesn't go? Or will you be the one that does go? Be willing to do the ridiculous and the fruit of God will flow into eternity through, the, through you. Of this you can be certain. You, will, you have to be willing to answer the call even when you don't know the outcome. See, God sees the lost. He sees the multitudes and he loves them. And he has a plan to reach every one of them. The question is, will we be part of that plan? God sees the hungry of the world and he wants to feed them. And he may call you just to give a little bit to a feeding program. He may call you to run a feeding program. But he, he's going to call you to be a part of it. He sees the abused and he wants somebody who will reach out and be faithful and bring healing to the abuse of their life. He sees the broken and he wants somebody who will come into their life and shore them up and teach them and reach out to them until they are healed. He sees the suffering. He wants somebody who will wrap their arms around the suffering and love them in in spite of their pain, in spite of their hurt. It may seem big. It may seem too scary. It may seem like too much of a sacrifice. But in the end, it's where the greatness of life lays. Will I be willing to take the risk or won't I? Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every person here today that you let us look deep in our heart and see if our life is rightly submitted to you. Father, maybe there are some here today that the enemy's been telling them not that they can't give their life to you. Maybe they've just been in darkness and the light has begun to dawn in their life today. And they know that Jesus is true. They've heard it and it resonates in their spirit right now. And right now at this moment, you're speaking to them and saying, come follow me. They've got to ask, who, who are you, Lord? You're telling them that you're Jesus. Today, Lord, let those hearts be surrendered to you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. You say, Pastor, that's me. I need to give my heart to God. Today, I want to step across that line of faith. I hear Jesus calling me, and today, I want to submit my life to him. If that's you, just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me right now. Right now in this service, I want to ask Christ in my life. God bless you. Anyone else today, you'll raise your hand and say, Pray, pray for me, Pastor. I want to make sure my heart's right with Christ. Today, right here, right now. Father, you know the condition of every soul in this room. And Father, we know that you love every one of us. I pray you put a red-hot fire in our heart for the lost. And I pray you give us an assurance in our faith in you. In Jesus' name. Every way I pray this prayer with me. Father... I come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I receive Jesus as my Lord and I receive Jesus as my Savior. And I ask you to help me to live for him who died for me. In Jesus' name, amen. I want everybody to look at me here for a moment. I'm going to make an appeal today. 
And this is a little different. You know that statistically, they tell us, and it's pretty evident, that women do most of the work in the church. Women are more likely to witness than men are. Women do those things quicker for some reason. It's why we see on Mother's Day that Mother's Day, listen, Mother's Day is one of the big days of the year in the church, and Father's Day is one of the low days in the church. Shame on us, dads. That should say something to us. So here's my call today. I'm going to ask men, young men, grown men in this room, where do you want to be with God? Do you want to be in a place where you say, God, here I am. I want to be in the battle. I, I want to be somebody whose life matters, not just in the few years I have on this earth, I want my life to be one that matters into eternity. That impacts lives forever. I want my life to be one that you can speak to and use me for whatever you want to use me for that will impact other people's lives. God, I want to be the Ananias that you can call to the risky job, be it big or small. I want to be the Paul that you can call to do whatever you want me to do. I want to be used of you. Gentlemen, right now, and if that's you, I want you to get up, men, young men, and walk down to the front. Maybe you're the only guy that comes. Maybe you're surrounded by dozens of others. But you'll say, God, I want to be that guy. I want to be a guy whose life matters for eternity. And I'm willing to follow your voice. Right now, get up and come in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you, you gals that are here today, if you just say, wow, I want to be used by God, and, and I want to pray for these men, they'll be used by God. I just want to invite you to just come stand behind them right now in Jesus' name. Years ago, my dad was uh, in Japan, and, and he was with a, a Shintoist priest. They have thousands of gods that they worship. And my dad was sharing with him about Jesus. And they talked for a long time. And this Shintoist priest said to him, uh, I will accept Jesus. And dad said, great. But then as it became clear, he would just add him to all of his other gods. And we sit here today and we know in our minds that's not the way it works. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And yet there's times in our lives when we say, we'll accept Jesus in our life as long as he doesn't get involved in the way I pleasure myself. As long as it doesn't get in, involved in the way I conduct myself morally. As long as it doesn't get involved in the way I live my life at work or any other place. And God says, that's not good enough. When we come to Jesus, we come to him trusting him to be our savior, but also putting our faith in him to be our Lord. And that begins to control, he begins to control our life. Now, he does that by the power of his spirit when we open our, our heart to him and we see through his word how we should be living and we say, God, help me. Help me to live the way you should. But if I'm going to be that person that really stands in that place where God can use me, it's got to be a person who stands there wholly committed to God. None of us like hypocrites, do we? The person who says one thing and lives another, that doesn't, that doesn't inspire any of us. And we can't be that person either. We've got to be that person who lives 
the way we say we're going to live. Amen? Father, in Jesus' name, we come here at this altar today with these men, young and old. And what we're saying to you today, Father, by standing at this altar is here we are. We want our lives to matter for eternity. We want our lives to count for you, Father. We, we want our hearts to beat the way your heart beats for the lost, for the hungry, for the abandoned, for the broken, for the suffering. Instead of us being caught up in ourselves, we want to be caught up in service to your kingdom. We want to, Father, lay the, man, the old man aside and be a new creature. We want to pivot, head a new direction fully in you. And so, Father, we just pray, here we are, use us. We know there may be things you call us to do that are risky, that make our knees knock together, make our hearts beat a little faster. But, Lord, we just pray to remind us of this moment. Remind us of Ananias. And let us be a people who are willing to go to who you would have us to go to, to do what you would have us to do, so that your will can be done in our lives. Use us, we pray. Let let your spirit change our attitudes. Let it change our words. Let your spirit change our spirits. Let us be formed in the image of your Son for the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Grace and peace.